Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. As Savannah enjoys a calm before storms, that's right, Georgia and Tennessee footballs this weekend, so are the Ghost Pirates. And then next week, of course, we have the midterm elections. We're going to take a deeper look on today's commute podcast at fast-evolving corridors within our city, such as Montgomery Street and Waters Avenue. Savannah Morning News journalist Zoe Nicholson talks about these corridors in flux on today's commute, presented by National Office System. Good day, Savannah, from all of us here at savannahnow.com. This is the Commute Podcast, and I am your host, Adam Van Bremer, opinion columnist and a deputy editor at the Savannah Morning News. Today is Thursday, November the 3rd, and over the last week, savannahnow.com has published works by investigative reporter Zoe Nicholson that look at the future of streets and corridors in our cities that many see as epicenters of our future. Zoe discusses these corridors in flux on today's episode, along with editor Amy Condon, who is kind enough to take on the host duties for me today. But before I turn things over, let's talk about National Office Systems, the commute's presenting sponsor. Here at the Savannah Morning News, we're planning an office move in the coming months. You've been hearing me talk about that for months, but I promise you, it's coming. Anyway, we know who to call once we do settle on a new address. Scott Center and his team over at National Office Systems. They've been helping Savannah businesses with their office needs since the 1980s. National Office Systems offers more than 200 product lines, including a new collaboration from two of the office furniture industry's leaders, Herman Miller and Knoll, also known as Miller Knoll. If your office space needs a refresh, National Office Systems can help. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's Zoe Nicholson and Amy Condon. Welcome to The Commute, and welcome to investigative reporter, Zoe Nicholson. Hello, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you. I'm Amy Condon, in case I forgot to introduce myself. I'm one of the content coaches here at Savannah Morning News, and today we are talking corridors. Zoe, you have just done a three-part series on some of the historic cultural Mm -hmm. and commercial and residential corridors mm-hmm. in Savannah. By no means are these the universe of corridors, but right. these are some of the most significant because of their history. Tell us a little bit about the three corridors that you looked at and the history behind them. Yeah, so uh, the three corridors that I looked at were Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, and then just one block over Montgomery Street. And then the third corridor I looked at was Waters Avenue, um, the part that is north of let's say victory drive um kind of that more residential area so basically these stories we got to them you know you could just drive down montgomery or parts of water avenue and see the change coming and um as i started digging into it a little bit more we realized that the change was not just you know old businesses going away or people retiring but it was a whole new class of businesses going from those daily services like car wash body shops um doctor's offices and going more towards the tourist style um, 
service, not daily services, but service industry jobs, you know, tattoo parlors, um, art studios, restaurants, restaurants, a brewery is in the works. So, um, you know, wanting to dig into that and as you kind of dig into the history, especially of MLK and Montgomery, you learn that this area has really always been a signifier of what the change is happening in the larger downtown neighborhood, specifically on the west side of downtown, um, west of Bull Street. So um, as we were looking into it, I kind of realized this is more than just a simple story about what's going away and what's coming in. This is a snapshot of a larger cyclical change that happens in these areas. So, you know, this kind of upheaval of commercial businesses and the residents around them who frequent these businesses, it's not the first time that this type of change has happened. And it's not even, it's been on a bigger scale before. So, you know, one of the things we always try to do with our growth and development coverage is work in the historical context. How did we get to where we are now and what, you know, led to the things that where we're going that makes sense so absolutely um i really felt like the history of these areas particularly you know martin luther king jr boulevard used to be called west broad street and it was a hub i know you say i use that word a lot but it was (laughs) it was the center of um african-american owned businesses and commerce on the west side of downtown savannah up until the mid-century um when in the 20s and 30s this was um lots of jazz clubs um Pharmacies, pharmacies, doctors, offices, all the all the services that would be in a community, right? That served a neighborhood, and it was black doctors, it was black pharmacists. Mm-hmm. Um, the the mothers and fathers on the streets sort of were the village that raised all the kids, mm-hmm. and it was one of those communities where people walked everywhere, mm-hmm. and right. And and speaking with people who grew up in that time, you know, uh. Parts of West Broad Street started to be demolished to make way for I-16 and other urban renewal projects in the early 60s. And so there's not many people who really remember a lot about that time and were old enough to really experience it. But I did get to speak with a couple of people. And one thing, there are two things that really kind of stood out to me. One was it was a multicultural community in the time of Jim Crow and segregation. So Montgomery was the dividing line for segregation back during racist Jim Crow policies. And But Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, um, there were businesses, African-American-owned businesses, Jewish-owned businesses. People remembered Chinese merchants, Greek merchants. So it was a place where everyone who wasn't, you know, white or white passing in this ruling class um, that, you know, existed in the mid-century, it was really a place where they could thrive and have this uh, commercial community. And um, so that was one big thing that stuck out. And another is, you know, since all of those businesses were destroyed and then it was a confluence of events. So you had government infrastructure projects raising these businesses and homes to make way for a bigger road and a interstate and all that jazz. Which appeared to be progress yes, in many ways, but in a lot of ways stopped the evolution of these communities. Exactly. And so what also happened around that time was white flight, which was a phenomenon where white folks and pretty much anyone who was middle class or above, um, regardless of race, moved out of the city centers and urban areas across the country into the suburbs. Um, And then also around that time was the Great Migration, where African-American, young African-Americans in the South were moving north 
to the Midwest out West for better opportunities, a better education. Um, and so that was created what they call a brain drain, which was you have your youth, you have the promise of the next generation and a lot of those best minds are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, is kind of what the area has been seeing for the last several decades. Um, but I would say in the past, you know, maybe 15, 20 years since downtown has started growing again, tourism, as we know, boom, SCAD, adding hundreds of students every year. The city itself is growing, bringing in people from all over the country and the world. Um, so now you're starting to see the impacts of that new class of people moving in downtown change the area. And now I talked to one man, um, Joe Bruin. He's 87 years old, grew up on West Gannett Street uh, in a house that's no longer there because it was destroyed <laughs> for urban renewal projects. Um, but he was a re- he's a retired car salesman, grew up his entire life in this area. Um, and he said that what's happened now is that people like him or people his age, his contemporaries, maybe they did move out to the suburbs or maybe they moved off to Chicago if they want to come home and spend their last, you know, years in Savannah, the place where they grew up, it's now unaffordable to them because it has become such a destination, um, particularly for tourism and student living and just, you know, young professionals who are making way above the city average. So, uh, yeah, it's it's now a place that's not attainable. And it used to be a place where, you know, nobody wanted to be so. Well, and sometimes one of the things that you pointed out in your series, sometimes people lament the new investment and change as Mm -hmm. pure gentrification, while others see it as revitalization. And there's sort of a mix here Mm -hmm. um, in that people who saw the areas kind of degrade and saw crime move in and were concerned about their own personal safety like that there's an attention, but wonder why there wasn't more balance right. to bring, you know, to allow people who had lived there and who had stayed to remain, find ways of sort of bridging the divides, mm-hmm. the the economic divides, really. Right. Pardon the interruption, Adam here again, this time to encourage you to subscribe to the Savannah Town Square Opinion Newsletter. Every Tuesday, subscribers to the newsletter get a sneak peek and an opinion commentary. They get to weigh in on a Vox Populi topic. They get caught up on our latest podcasts, and they also get access to a collection of our latest opinion works. All of that delivered straight to your email inbox. Go to savannahnow.com slash newsletters and sign up. You don't have to subscribe to Savannah Morning News or Savannah Now to get the newsletter, so there's no financial commitment, and that means there's no excuses. So again, go to savannahnow.com slash newsletters and sign up. Now, more on Corridors and Flux with Amy Condon and Zoe Nicholson. But when you look at waters, you see that there's an opportunity to actually do it better and Mm -hmm. to learn or to not make the same mistakes. And talk about that a little bit, because waters has a little bit of a different feel to it. And it's a little more residential right? in a lot of the parts of it, uh, especially midway between, like, say, Wheaton to, mm-hmm. on the north and Victory on the south. There's quite a bit of residential that butts up it. And those neighborhoods are going for their own changes and revitalizations as Waters has, has stalled 
oftentimes in its efforts for revitalization. Yeah. So the thing about Waters Avenue, which is on the east side of town, you know, the core of Savannah is a block system. So it's pretty mirror mirroring how, you know, Montgomery's on this side on the very western edge of this block and Waters is just past on the east side. Um, And so it is a largely residential area. I mean, there's probably four or five blocks only that are, you know, filled with commercial fronting businesses. But a lot of them are, you know, what you see a lot through the east side, you know, empty warehouses or businesses that have set vacant and blighted for years. Um, but you do see signs of people starting to take advantage of that. Um, two of them that people might recognize their name, Van Seals, who's the owner of uh, Studio 13, formerly 13 Bricks, and he has a screen printing business on Waters Avenue. And Jerome Meadows probably one of the most well-known artists who's based here in Savannah. He has Meadowlark Studio on Waters Avenue, and he is... I mean, it's completely surrounded by homes. And that's why he moved into that area in 2000 because it was residential. It reminded him of where he grew up in New York. Um, But in speaking with him and Van Sills, they both see um, the changes starting to happen. And it's not commercial changes happening around Waters. It's a lot of houses that are being flipped, new construction on vacant lots. Um, Vansil says he's heard about a lot about air properties issues, which are succession rights issues to properties when people pass on without a will. And it's a big problem in the South with, uh, you know, knowing who owns the property and who can make decisions about it. But within that, both of these artists feel that this area could be a place that could be revitalized through working artists. And what they mean by that is, you know, up until a year or two ago, Jerome Meadows lived and worked in his studio, Meadowlark. He doesn't live there anymore. He wants something a little different. But, um, you know, he's positing this theory that, you know, take a lot of these vacant buildings, let them become working studios and housing. And this could be a place to form not only an arts community, but revitalize the existing community and give the existing community something more than blighted buildings. Yeah, live workspaces help to revitalize some of the toughest parts Mm -hmm. of Seattle, of Portland, of Asheville. Mm -hmm. So there's precedent for this in other places. And um, Miami's Wynwood, Mm -hmm. all the vacant um, warehouses that were there were originally live workspaces. Right. Now they're very high end. <laughs> right. And that is and that's the that's the challenge. It's almost like the the first to move in. Yeah. Are. And that's something that when talking with Van Seals of um Studio 13, he's a native Savannian and he said he's basically he's doing two things. One, he's talking with people in the neighborhoods around him and saying do not sell. He wants to he wants to let people know that you know, and a lot of times these developers who are going into, I'm using air quotes right now, listeners, up and coming neighborhoods, right? They offer well below what they could probably get for it once money and once they flip it, um, money is put into it. Um, so he's urging families to hang on to their homes, to in- invest in those homes, invest in their communities, um, to retain the residential block, which is a largely African-American community. And it has remained protected as compared to maybe the Bull Street area and I think there's lots of reasons for that. I know one reason is it's further away from downtown and more people own their homes. They're not mm-hmm. renters. They don't have heirs, property issues. Um, 
But then the other thing that Van Sills is doing, he says he's putting out the proverbial bat signal, talking to anyone he knows who's a young artist or just an entrepreneur, someone who maybe has like a side hustle and they're thinking about whether they want to take that leap. Um, he said Waters Avenue is the perfect place to do that. Um, and so in his mind, sort of joins the east and west sides. Exactly. And in his mind, gentrification is inevitable for the area. Um, but you see it coming. So take advantage of it. People who are local, people who are invested in the community and in keeping families in the communities they've grown up and raised children in. Um is better than having outside investments or big developers see this, buy up a whole block of buildings and flip it for a Chipotle. One of the things you point out in your series that I don't know that most people are aware of is this idea of enterprise zones. We use this idea of opportunity zones and enterprise zones as these great tax abatement and uh, tax deferral type programs that help entrepreneurs come in to these communities. That's true, but the requirements of them don't actually support the younger or even the middle income entrepreneur who has a great idea Mm -hmm. because of what it requires. Can you talk about that just a little bit? So the Enterprise Zone Program is a state of Georgia program out of the Department of Community Affairs. Basically, it's this program that's available and any municipality municipality that wants to do it can, but there's strict definitions on where enterprise zones can be. So in Savannah, there's one uh, where Yamacraw is, MLK and Montgomery are enterprise zones. Um, further south, kind of uh, where the fairgrounds are, basically, that's an enterprise zone, and Waters Avenue is one as well. Um, and then the last one, I believe, is around East President Street, right before you get across the Wilmington River. So basically what this does is it allows um, people who want to come in, invest, and start a business in this area. It has to be within the highlighted area. Um, If they invest, you know, five times the property value, which, you know, maybe 10 years ago that was really doable, but land prices, building prices are rising really high in these areas. So you have to invest five times that and commit to hiring it up to five employees at least five employees within the first decade of operation. And if you do those two things, you qualify for first five years, no property taxes, and then it's on a scale, um, you know, it's like 75%, and then it goes down until you get to 100% with, through the next five years. So basically 10 years of property tax coupons or completely written off. And then all your development fees are waived, which would include things like permitting, water hookup, electricity, whatever that entails. Um so on Montgomery, you know, I talked with the city and they talked a lot about the success of that on Montgomery Street, which would include um, there's Acme, to, Acme Tattoo Parlor uh, is one of the examples. And then there's uh, if anyone's driven down MLK or Montgomery and you've seen the construction, there's several apartment buildings um, coming up, including the former St. Paul's School for Boys. So that developer also used those credits Um to build in that area. Um, but then you have someone like Van there's Seals. there's no requirement in enterprise zones that if you get these tax payments, there's no requirement to when you're, especially when you're creating housing, right. to set aside some of that for affordability. Even right. You've got a break um, on your investment, so mm-hmm. to speak, and your development cost. 
you don't, you're not obligated in any way to pass it on to help keep sort of a variety of incomes in a community. That's correct. And it's something that the city acknowledged when I talked with them. And that's why they're looking at the inclusion, inclusionary zoning ordinance, which um, was supposed to be on the agenda in October. It's now November 2nd. Um, anyway, so, you know, what that would do is in this is allowed under the state program. They could add in that piece where if you're a developer of a certain type of housing or if you want to get these tax breaks and you are constructing housing, there does have to be a percentage or a number of units that are workforce or affordable housing. Um, but it's not in place. You know, talk is great until, you know, nothing comes of it. So, um, you know, I think with anything, there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of promise within it. But it's like what's going on with the in-market arena and the build out and how that will impact Carver Village and Cloverdale and Brickyard. You know, the potential is there, but if the protections aren't in place for those with less capital, less political power, less, you know, social know-how and connections, then, you know, it's very easy for someone with a lot of money and a lot of connections to use these and completely change the makeup of a block or a community. Uh So just got to be careful. (laughs) We'll see. Um. What other corridors do you think are worth exploring? Yeah. So actually, the next one we're going to be looking at is Broughton Street, which I'm sure everyone listening knows about, uh, kind of the commercial corridor for the tourism district, historic district. Um, And that has been through a lot, a lot of changes. Um, But, you know, now coming out of the pandemic, in the middle of this very expensive hardscaping plan, you know, what is the plan for Broughton Street? What is the plan for... um, you know, the merchants that are there for sustaining small businesses, locally owned businesses there, um, which I I believe is what the community likes to see instead of J. Crews or and H&Ms. But um, that will be kind of the next thing we're looking at. And then I think another area to be um, paying attention to is obviously East President Street. Um, and that is just blanket potential because there's so much undeveloped land along East President Street. And it really is the other than Yamacraw, the closest piece of undeveloped land to downtown. So um, I think within the next year, once a lot of these big projects that are in the works right now are finished and then the next ones coming online start to go up, um, it'll be a lot clearer what's happening with that corridor. But as it stands right now, it's pretty much luxury developments. All right. But parking, they have parking. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> and parking. Um Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, Zoe, thank you so much for talking with us today. And thank you out there listening to The Commute. Have a good one. Adam here to close things out. That's all for this edition of The Commute Podcast. Thanks one last time to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new Commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. Search The Commute with that Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app, and you'll find those archives. The Commute returns next Tuesday, Election Day, when we check on how things are going at the polls, and we forecast election outcomes, and I prove just how clueless I really am. Anyway, we'll see you and talk to you then. Just going to run this 
dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.